please you to appease you I've had better just to please you She's ferocious and she knows just what it takes to make a pro blush All the boys think she's a guy She's got Betty Davis eyes It's your old chuckle buddy Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan Reporting live for duty on this magnificent January 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Betty Davis eyes. She's ferocious and she knows just what it takes to make a pro blush. She knows just what it takes to make a pro blush. (laughs) I don't remember the last time I blushed. I'm pro, right? I try to be pro. Am I blushing? Ah, whatever. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts. Thespian to the bone, ladies and gentlemen. And in 2020, I am feeling rejuvenated revitalized, fresh, fresh new decade, lots of um, rejection ahead, (laughs) but, um, you know, also a lot of opportunity. And what's on my plate right now as an actor extraordinaire, couple auditions lined up. Now, um, it's par for the course as an actor that, as I joked about, but as I'm actually quite real and accepting and dealing with um, rejection. You get rejected a lot as an actor. People can just straight up tell you, you ain't shit. You're not good enough. Fuck off. There's the door, buddy. Beat it. You know, like slamming doors in your face, talking down to you, laughing at you. Gatekeepers. People can just, the industry can just choose not to want you just like ah whatever you know like your resume doesn't mean anything it's not like uh any other job where it's like okay one plus one equals two a b c d e f g like it's not linear there's no coherency to anything that happens in show business you know like who who fucking knows right it's the kick at the cat. You know, it's like up one day, down the next, right? And rejection is a very real thing that actors uh, deal with. And in this interim period, as I wait to see what happens with some of these auditions that I have going in this January 2020, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to hear from them. I don't know what's going on. What do you want me to do about it? You know, all all I'm doing is the best that I fucking can. What do you want me to do about it, huh? Am I supposed to get bent out of shape? Huh? Have a conniption fit, a hissy fit, lose my shit? No. I'm just going to keep on... I think I can. Just chugging along like the little fucking engine that could. And keeping my balls... Um, right out in the open, take a good gander, motherfucker. And that's how it is as an actor for me in 2020. And, um, in this interim, as I wait to see what's going on for the new year, um, I'm taking it back to basics. Yes. I'm gonna be doing a lot of reading, reading up on the craft of acting. Got a lot of interesting books, uh, Respect for Acting by Uta Hagen. Uh, Uta Hagen. Uta Hagen was a very famous, prominent acting coach. Um, she came out of that New York scene. She had a lot of um, contemporaries like the, Sta- the Stella Adlers, the uh, Sanford Meisner. Ah, I want truth, goddammit, truth. What's your motivation? Ah, bullshit, I don't believe you. You gotta speak from your gut. You gotta speak from your soul. What kind of thespian do you call yourself? You think it's a game? You think it's a fucking game? 
Sanford Meisner, for all y'all that don't know, he also was a very prominent acting coach. He had like emphysema. He spoke through a hole in his throat with like a little microphone. I want truth, goddammit, truth. What's your motivation? You know, and, um, but anyways, like I said, Uta Hagen, going to read up on Respect for Acting. That's a book by Uta Hagen. And uh, a book on pantomime, the art of physical um, expression, pantomime. And in doing so, it's like taking it back to basics, uh, re-upping some of my chops as an actor, and um, falling in love with the process all over again, you know? What sparked uh, some of this discussion was I was thinking about a conversation I had. I don't remember when it was. It was like maybe within the last year, year or two. But I was in a situation where, where I was talking with somebody and they kind of disrespected the craft of acting. They were comparing it to music and they were like, well, music's um, one of those things where it's you either have it or you don't. It's not like acting when, um, you know, it's pretty basic. You just walk into a room, start speaking, start speaking your lines. Like as an actor, all you have to do is stand there and say your lines. All you have to do is walk into a room as an actor. I was like, actually, motherfucker, it's not that basic. That's not basic. First of all, you sweat a lot as an actor. You've got lights and cameras in your fucking face. You got the stress of an audience. You got the stress of trying to deliver your truth as an artist. You sweat a lot. All right? So first of all, fuck off with the easiness. It's not easy. Second, it's not basic. True thespians, actors, all the motherfuckers you at home, dear listener and viewer, appreciate all the legends. There's got to be one motherfucker out there that you like. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, Julianne Moore, um, Tom Cruise, um, Denzel Washington, you know, um, Danny Glover, whatever. All these motherfuckers. There's got to be somebody out there that you appreciate and they can all attest. Some of the hardest moments in being an actor are the seemingly simple ones. Walking across a room, picking up a glass, taking a drink. Let's say that's your scene. The scene is like, okay, the character walks across the room, picks up a glass of water, takes a drink, looks out the window. If that doesn't read as authentic, it's the most hack fucking thing imaginable. Like, when you've seen a television show, right? You always, you've seen a show where somebody, they're doing something seemingly basic, you know? They're looking out a window. They're driving a car. They're having dinner. They're tying their shoelaces. The job of the actor is to portray character authentic to the script, like what the character is actually dealing with, and a realism that mirrors life. It has to at least mirror life or accentuate life. And getting to that authenticity is a tricky motherfucker. Something as seemingly simple as picking up a glass Taking a sip, or a coffee mug in this case, you know? Picking up a coffee mug. Taking a gulp, you know? Now, that's not Oscar-worthy, what I just did there. But I'm telling you, if, like, the cameras were on, we're in, like, a multi-million dollar film, you know? There's a scene that they're trying to set up. Okay, this is a dramatic scene. The character is contemplating going back to drinking. You know, and there he is drinking a coffee, you know, just seemingly simple, drinking a coffee, thinking about being an alcoholic. You know, or whatever the fuck, right? Like the unwritten actions of the actor, you know, characterization through movement and making the ordinary extraordinary so there you have it folks Jonathan Ramcharan actor extraordinaire
And, uh, coincidentally, I am also an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three years of consecutive, consistent sobriety. Yes, I am an alcoholic. And, um, you know, a lot of actors are. But um, that's neither here nor there. Um, it's about having your cake and eating it, too. You know? Um, we in the artistic community are very guilty of that at times. It ain't no secret. Um, people be drinking, smoking weed, popping pills, whatever floats their boat, you know, huffing uh, CO2 cartridges, you know, like whippets, you know, <laughs> you know, inhaling like CO2, you know, doing whippets, inhaling compressed air, you know, people do all sorts of shit to get their kicks. And as an alcoholic, I can attest to that. There was a time in my life where I really wanted my cake and to eat it too, especially as a thespian. I'm creative. I'm artistic. I'm above the norms of society. I'm going to get blackout, drunk, chase pussy, smoke pot, smoke cigarettes, you know, lay about, louse about, just a rotten, crummy, shiftless, rotten, good for nothing, lousy, you know, good for nothing, lay about. You know, getting soused around the clock. I lived that lifestyle for many years. And, you know, it's all about having that cake and eating it too. And, you know, I can only speak for myself. Once I got sober, part of the joy has been accountability. The accountability of just myself and my life, you know, walking in a way in which that I live and let live, you know. I'm just doing my thing and being a societal member that encourages others to do their thing. Live and let live. That's just such a, I mean, that's the golden rule. Jesus Christ taught that. You know, live and let live. And that's so pertinent in this world, 2020. Like, can we not just see that that's the answer? Live and let live. And that comes to mind as an alcoholic because in recovery rooms, 12-step programs, that's one of the slogans. That's one of the sayings that we have. Live and let live. Because alcoholism, one of, the, uh, one of the many parts of it is just the, just the overbearing nature, imposing nature that alcoholism can lead to. Some people mention al- alcoholics as people that come through people's lives like a tornado you know breezing through a motherfucker's life like a tornado you know and to live and let live is definitely a concept that i've always tried to adhere to especially as a spiritual man a god-fearing man but also as an alcoholic because that slogan really put it back into my mind that you know i was living like a tornado breezing around bumbling around getting in people's business like and what i mean by that is like you know open your eyes take a look around you how many times a day are people imposing upon you you go to the fucking grocery store somebody's right there behind you standing there waiting all anxious for their turn to pay for their groceries it's like can you calm the fuck down back there? Like, I'm obviously the next person in line. Calm down. Why are you imposing on me? Why are you bearing down on me? Or like in the workplace, co-workers, um, bosses, micromanaging people. People that they derive their pleasure from others' misfortunes. You know? They don't know how to live and let live. So that's very important for me to keep in mind. Um, going on in my, sub- in my sober life. It's very important for me to keep that in mind. Live and let live. And as I also mentioned, 
having your cake and eating it too. That just don't work. At least for me. There has to be an accountability. And that's my opinion. Um, It's neither here nor there, set in stone. But that's my opinion. You can't have your cake and eat it too when you're dealing with an addiction, alcoholism. You have to have some accountability. And this time of year is very um, interesting for that. I've noticed this over the last few years of my sobriety. Every January, it comes down to like, oh, this trendy new way to get sober. You know, like everybody wants to start off the new year on a good foot, but they want to have their cake and eat it too. All these self-help gurus with their self-help guru tendencies, you know, why don't you just micro-sober? People micro-dose, why not get micro-sober, you know? Do a sober January, retool, um, recalibrate, and, you know, go on with your um, drinking in a more mannered approach, a more due diligent approach, you know? Calculate how many drinks you have per whatever, and diddly-dum, the diddly-doo, and micro-sober. It can be that simple. Actually, when you're a raging alcoholic, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. You can't have your cake and eat it too. By definition, if you are calculating and contemplating the amount of drinks you have, you're probably an alcoholic. Because people that don't have drinking problems... Don't sit around calculating and wondering how many drinks they have or if they should drink or shouldn't drink or is it the opportune moment to have a drink. People with drinking problems, they take a drink when they want one, they put it down when they're done, they don't think about it because they're not mentally obsessed with drinking. So if you're mentally obsessed with drinking, chances are you're an alcoholic. This is an opinion. Strictly opinion. And, um, you know, it just kind of, I guess, kind of ruffles my feathers a bit because I feel like it's misinformation. I feel it's like trying to have your cake and eat it too. And it's just mamby-pamby. It's just stupidity. Because I went through that cycle and I don't believe it helps. I don't believe it helps people to basically give them bullshit solutions to horrible problems. And if you're anything like me, folks, and you're out there suffering from the throes of alcoholism, consider giving a try um, what I did. What I did was I joined a 12-step program. That's nothing official. These are meetings that you can attend all over the world. That's how far the program reaches. And um, what you do is you attend these meetings at your own schedule. You practice various steps of recovery. And as I mentioned, there's no dues, no fees, no emphasis on God, religion. You get to share on issues pertaining to your alcoholism. Then you get to listen. You get to hear from others. And in doing so, you come out of your isolation. You become a part of a community. And day by day, your days add up. And one day, you find yourself in a new life. And you're not trying to have your cake and eat it too. You're not trying to get your cheap kicks by having one drink and then calculating the next full moon when you can have another drink or whatever. Like you're just, you you are solid in your recovery and you're not worried, you're, you're free from the mental obsession that plagues an active alcoholic. It's no longer a thought to you when you get some healthy sobriety and you don't have to play these little micro sobering mamby pamby games of like you know having your cake and eating it too and then you get to live and let live you'll find that a lot of the answers are within and you're not looking to others for validation what other people do will be no concern to you um you will You'll realize that a lot of your alcoholism and a lot of your personal problems in life extended from an unchecked ego, you know? And I'm no weird, I'm no, I'm no guru, I'm not 
close to nirvana. I'm not a Buddhist monk, but I am very aware of some of those afflictions that I was dealing with. And through my sobriety, I feel so free and I feel so much closer to um, just a humble life of living and let live. You know? So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic. <laughs> I am also a janitor, janitor extraordinaire. Yes. I'm talking mop buckets, slop buckets, toilets, tampons, urinals, urinal cakes. I'm talking um, garbage bins, recycled bins, organic waste bins, parking lots, the whole kit and caboodle, ladies and gentlemen. God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. God made dirt and dirt bust your ass. And um, yeah, janitor. It's very blessed. Um, I spoke on two things very dear to me. My alcoholism and recovery. And my life as a performer. And my janitorial hustle facilitates both those areas of my life. My sobriety is very important to me. My performing life is very important to me. And, you know, this is relatable to everyone. Um, I'm very blessed to have my 9 to 5 gig because it facilitates those very important areas of my life. Um, as an alcoholic, when you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, twiddly D, that's when all the um, negativity, the bad thoughts can creep in. You start yearning for cake and to eat it, you know? You start wanting to have your cake and eat it too. You start, you know, you can start to have like, you know, an imposing nature about you, an overbearing nature, uh, you know, some of that um, tornado aspect that I talked about, breezing through people's lives with, you know, um, your wants and your needs and your demands, right? And your self-centeredness. And having a nine-to-five gig keeps me on the straight and narrow. I go to work, I collect, I earn a um, an honest income, and I get on with my life. And it's very blessed. And number two, as a performer, um, yeah, it pays... The bills, it covers my expenses, um, production equipment, um, things of inspiration. Let's say I want to take a trip and, you know, go somewhere for my career or invest somehow in furthering my career. My janitorial hustle, believe it or not, facilitates that, you know, and, you know, you can't be living like a, a starving artist forever. I've done that. I've done the whole banging it out, you know, living in men's shelters, drunk and high around the clock, artiste lifestyle, eating cake, eating cake and loving it too. And, you know, I've learned how to work smarter, not harder as a janitor. And I'm just very blessed for that. Um, but there's always some laughs, couple chuckles that come up as a janitor. Um, I mentioned, and why it's on my mind is going into this new year, it ain't no secret. Um, there's just a lot of angst 2020. I mean, people are talking like with the US, Iran, Canada situation, people are throwing around terms like World War Three, you know? I mean, that's not something someone should say loosely, you know. Potential World War III? Like, this is what news outlets have been spouting. Also, there's been issues of, like, SARS outbreaks in China and U.S., right? Um, SARS. Uh, what is it called? Something Respiratory Syndrome whatever SARS stands for. It's like a pneumonia-like illness. Um, and what they're calling it now is like the coronavirus. So anyways, this SARS coronavirus plaguing, you know, parts of the world. You know, it's like a hyped-up fear of, you know, illness and contamination. So there's all this anxiety and negativity coming into 2020. 
And it's just what the news outlets and the societal dream is trying to push on people. And that's why I really think about these things in the workplace. Because it's like, if people can adopt a live and let live mentality, it can make the world such a better place. But people are always stepping on each other's throats because that's what they think they have to do to get ahead in life. They think that somehow what that person does has to do with what they do. And it has nothing to fucking do with you. You know? It's just a world of fear. A world of fear and control. And that's what I'm... That's what I'm trying to break through. And that's why I think about these things and philosophize and pontificate about them. Because it's very interesting. On a micro level as a janitor my in-and-out daily basis activities are really no different than some fucking political fucking agenda, governmental agency. How you deal with people on a small level is no different than how you deal with them on a large level. You know, it's the micro level, the Big Mac level. It's all the same horse shit. Like, for example, at work, I dropped a water bucket. (gasps) I was like, I was washing down a counter in a work office, right? They're like, Jonathan to the fucking um, 10th floor. Somebody spilled a fucking juice box on the fucking, you know, kitchen counter and you have to go mop it up, right? So I'm up there with my dish rag and my mop bucket and I, I don't know why I was using a mop bucket, but whatever, who cares? It was more like just a regular bucket, all right? Not that you know the difference anyways, unless you're a janitor. But anyways, I have this bucket, and I'm dipping the fucking dish rag in there, and, and I'm, I'm wiping down a fucking kitchen counter. And as I go to leave the kitchen, <gasps> kaplunk, splash, I drop the bucket. <gasps> the whole office like reels around, and they look. The janitor dropped a water bucket. <gasps> a big gasp. <gasps> All these fucking yuppie, Dr. Seuss, Mother Goose, Cat in the Hat, fake ass fucking office dwelling morons. They gasp. Because <gasps> I drop a water bucket. So, two tears in a bucket? Motherfucker. Who gives a bumble clot, blood clot fuck? I dropped a bucket. Who cares? I'll go get some paper towels and mop it up, right? So I fucking hump it. I leg it down to the fucking janitor's closet and I get a mop and I'm back there and I'm I'm mopping up the fucking spilled uh, water and all the fucking little office dwelling morons get to talking, get to kabeeking, you know, squawking. Uh, Oh, I, I never seen a janitor drop a mop bucket before and oh he dropped a bucket oh wow there's water on the floor (gasps) all this talking all this condescension all this blah 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 what to impose a sense of fear in me to condescend me it's like Okay, if you're such a high and mighty person to be revered, why do you act like a child? Why are you so backward, stupid, small, square, and um, obnoxious? Why are you such a condescending pundit prick? Like, who gives a flying fuck if I drop the water bucket? I'm mopping it up. Why do you have to (gasps) stare and gasp about it, right? And that's the level of fear and condescension that, you know is just rife, wild in this world, you know what I mean? World War Three. you know, countries going to war for no fucking reason. Oh, oh, anxiety and fear everywhere you turn. And, you know, if people could realize that, that's why I think when I speak on these things, it's actually quite important because it makes me scratch my head. Because if people could deal with these things on a small level, a day-to-day level with their neighbors, their co-workers, it could spark a change societally at, at a larger level because it's all the same shit. People just aren't good to one another. And if people could learn how to be just more, more of like a 
to live a life of, you know, humility, you know, to not impose upon one another. We could live and let live and live a beautiful, charmed existence. But it's like people are hell-bent on destruction. Hell-bent. I don't know. But hey, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. I just try to learn from every situation and put that forward in my recovery as an alcoholic and put it forward in my performing career. And uh, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. I'm just going to keep pushing that mop bucket. You know, going to keep washing them windows. Keep pushing my garbage trolley. Uh, keep on, you know, vacuuming. You know, hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Janitor Ramcharan. Janitor. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. 11 years of service. Um, back on stage in 2020. What I'm trying to do is just focus on um, the writing. You know, I've always focused on writing. Um, you got to come up with funny jokes. <laughs> Duh. So you got to write them. And, you know, sometimes you write them on stage. You know, you just get on stage, spitball an idea, improvise things, see what turns up. Sometimes you sit down and you write it out by hand. That's basically how I work. But basically, um, what I want to emphasize this year is working smarter, not harder. Really putting in that pencil time. Really penning it down, penning it down on a daily basis. Working my sets, not taking them for granted. Because sometimes you work on different things. It's good to be loose. It's good to improvise. It's good to be free up there. But it's also a very competitive landscape where there's a lot of talented people reaching upwards, just like yours truly. Jonathan Ramshaw, I'm Jonathan Ramshaw on the podcast, reaching upwards just like yours truly here. And, you know, to compete with them is a competition. Just just getting on stage, just getting the stage time is a competition. You know, there's a lot of people hungry for that spot. So that's what I'm working on this year, working smarter, um, really considering my set, you know, I've always tried to take a sense of like levity, a sense of um, looseness, you know, and what I, would, I really want to work on just tightening up um, my almost non-existent act, you know, I want to work on tightening that up. So, you know, I'm feeling very optimistic about that going forward. And um, now that I'm smiling... I think that's a good spot to leave it. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian. And those are the four, count them, four things that sum me up at the moment. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Yes. We're going forward into 2020. And, um, you know... I really didn't want it this way. I really didn't want it to be such a heavy, heavy kind of sentiment. Um, but it's almost unavoidable. You know what I mean? And that's a part of being a person of your time. That's a part of being a performer. That's a part of being an alcoholic in recovery. That's a part of being you out there. Dear listener, dear viewer, whatever you're rocking with, whatever you're dealing with. Being a person of your time, you got to rise to these challenges. And, you know, I don't think what we're, we've been hearing lately should be taken very lightly. I mean, I would have liked to start off 2020 on a golden crest, you know, on a fluffy cloud. But it's like people are throwing around words like World War Three. Considering the U.S.-Iran uh, situation slash Canada as we've been involved because of the downing of Flight 752, I believe. The uh, 57 Canadian casualties in this airplane downing. 
in Iran. Um, you know, coronavirus, contamination, uh, SARS-like flu, uh, sorry, SARS-like pneumonia symptoms coming out of China, you know. It's a lot of negativity and stupidity. And I don't know if you can call a virus stupid, <laughs> but in some ways it is because like they say that this SARS virus, it's coming out of this Wanhan district in China, these wet markets where you just got all this filth, apparently, like just this wet market where I guess people are just clamoring to make a living and all this livestock and all this livestock and agriculture, it's all just like mushed together in this wet market, which spreads this contamination. And that's where this Corona slash SARS virus has been coming from. And like, I don't know, man. What I'm trying to do is keep a personal sovereignty about me because I've been noticing, I've been losing it a little bit out there in the in the world. Um, the other day I was at the grocery store and this fucking lady behind me, right? She's just all like, oh my God. Oh my God. Are they going to get another cashier? Where's the other cashier? Excuse me, miss. What are you doing? What are you doing over there? Where's the other cashier? <laughs> She's whining and belly aching about where the cashier is. Any moron who's lived a day in this world understands the idea of grocery shopping. Sometimes it's busy. Why? Because there's people in the world who need to eat. If you're lucky enough to live in a world where you can grocery shop at a market where there's no um, coronavirus slash SARS virus, um, you know, and you have the ability to purchase food in general, you shouldn't be belly aching about the obvious notion that, you know, it's busy in the store, right? It's like there's like literally a hundred or so people all grocery shopping in the same store. And there's like, you know, obviously the cashier can't just snap their fucking fingers and transact every transaction, you know, it's like the transactions need to be transacted. Duh. It takes a minute. And this fucking bonehead behind me. Uh, uh, where's the fucking cashier? <laughs> Belly aching behind me. And, you know, I was stomaching I was stomaching it to the best of my ability. I'm just like, okay, whatever, just let it ride. Finally, you know, I just try to throw some positivity out there. When it was my turn to get to the register, I, I looked at the cashier and I'm like, oh, thank you, miss. I guess it's just busy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I tried to like put out a good vibe that way. That's what I try to do. It's like whenever there's negativity and bullshit, I try to be positive on some level. I try not to sink down into the bullshit around me. But then that fucking bonehead behind me, she, she, she brings it up another notch. I don't know if you've ever been at the grocery store, but... If you've ever grocery shopped as an adult, you start to notice things. Sometimes when a cashier is being relieved of their duties, the um, secondary cashier will appear with a fresh float. And I'm not talking about a shit log. I'm talking about like a float, you know, like a monetary float, like a fresh register. You know, they have a little box of, um, a little box of, uh, you know, a float, cash, you know, cash money to like transact the transactions. So the secondary cashier appears with a float, and I'm not talking about a shit log, you know, a float. And she's standing behind the cashier on till, waiting to relieve her. So then this bozo behind me starts squawking at the cashier. What are you doing, miss? Why are you just standing there? Why are you just standing there? You know, shouldn't you be working? Shouldn't you open a till? Shouldn't you open a till? Why are you just standing there? And it's obvious she's there to relieve the other cashier. So then I just turn to the lady. I'm like, miss, 
will you calm down, please? Like, they're working. They're doing a great job. You're just making it worse. And then she goes, well, I'm like, look, it's just your issue. It's your issue. Everybody has to wait. I mean, it's obviously busy. Just please. And then like, I don't know how it was taken because it just kind of got awkward and quiet. And that's the fear in which people live in society where it's like they don't stand up. They don't say shit. They just go along with the stupid bullshit of a day-to-day. Like they just walk around like zombies. You know what I mean? It's like, what was I supposed to do? I don't like to impose. I don't like to involve myself where I don't need to be involved. But what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just stand there and listen to somebody yell at another person while they're transacting my transaction? Like the lady was like ringing my stuff through the till. Like I'm involved in the situation. I'm the customer and I'm standing there getting my groceries and then as this lady's dealing with me, this other lady's like yelling at her. Ah, miss, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I had to do something, right? I don't want to live in this cowardice where it's like, I got to walk around on eggshells, afraid to say anything in this PC world where everybody's such a, you know, everybody thinks they're entitled to say this and say that and act this way and blah, 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 de diddly do And you just got to sit there with your lip zipped. Just stupid. And, you know, why this is so interesting, again, I find it relatable, you know? People arguing about bullshit at a grocery store. People arguing about, um, you know invading a country, going to war, you know, uh, resource war, war over oil, land, things like that. It's, it's all the same story, you know, people disrespecting, walking over each other. It's, I don't see it as any different. People can't get along at the grocery store. Nations can't get along with each other. They have no patience for each other. They want to own each other, you know, disrespect each other, you know. Iran, at the moment, one of their lawmaking officials put a $3 million bounty on the head of, okay, fake news, Donald Trump, okay. There's a $3 million bounty on the head of Donald Trump from some... uh lawmaker in Iran. That's what they, that's what the news article I read uh, quoted him as, or that's the title they gave him, lawmaker. I don't even know what that means, but some Iranian lawmaker apparently has put a bounty on Donald Trump's head. And it's like, it's all just a game that they're playing. Don't, don't we see that? Can't this be seen by the everyday person? It's a game that these heads of state, these nations play with each other. You know, Donald Trump starts a pissing war with Iran for whatever reason, whether it be for their resources, whether it to be to solidify his political agenda going into this impeachment trial that has just kicked off this week. You know, the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. So he starts this pissing war with Iran. Then Iran, in turn, downs an airplane, killing 150-something passengers. Sorry, I can't remember the figure offhand. I think it was 157 passengers. And then, in the midst of this, the bounty on Donald Trump's head from this Iranian lawmaker... And it's all just a game. I don't know how else to define it as. You know what I mean? And I can't believe people can't see this. So, going forward as a person in my time, I'm just going to keep paying attention to these things, speaking on these things, but I'm just starting to get so world-weary. You know what I mean? 
And that's that's partially what spurred some of this discontent I felt at the grocery store the other day with that bozo. Why is there no fucking cashier in the fucking till? It's like, just shut up. You know, people just don't want to get along, you know? And, you know, the the U.S. and, I guess, the United Nations, they're trying to limit the capacity of Iran to have these um, nuclear weapons, right? Iran has, I guess, in the past, been really pushing to up their arms race, their nuclear arms race. And this Iranian lawmaker was speaking on that, you know, blah, 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 you know, we the Iranian people want nuclear arms and blah, 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 de, 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 de. and it's so ugly that think about, think about the destruction of a nuclear warhead. Think about the catastrophe that can inflict. And why do nations want nuclear arms? To gain respect. That's the only reason. Maybe not the only reason, but that's a major reason. People want nukes. Country wants nukes for respect. Get a nuke, get respect. You know? And they put that as... They put that above the well-being of their people, above the well-being of the planet, above the well-being of humanity. Nuclear arms. Everyone should have one. I want a nuke. (laughs) I don't know. You know? Hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com You know? How do you feel about the idea of nuclear warheads? being um, something that every nation should have. That way they can have respect and strike fear into the community, you know? What do you think about this whole Iranian Donald Trump USA situation? What do you think's going on there? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com, you know? Hit me up. Um... Going forward, though, into um, 2020, as I mentioned, um, I think that's the answer, at least for myself. That's the answer at the moment, is to have a more of a, a calm sense of live and let live, and just indulge in the things that make me happy. Um, I'm, I'm reading again! <laughs> I'm reading again. Yeah, I've um, I've started to um, pick up some very interesting books to read um, in the new year. Um, I'll speak more on them as I get into them. Uh, playing bass guitar, slapping the old bass—that's my hobby. And working out and staying content, content with what's in front of me. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm not going to lie, it's been kind of a topsy-turvy week for me. Because it's like, I was all amped up for 2020, which I still am. But, hey, I'd have to be living under a rock to say that, (laughs) no pun intended. (laughs) I was living under Iraq, Iraq. But you'd have to be living under a rock to, like, not notice the bullshit in the world and that's what it is bullshit and maybe speaking out and not standing still when morons at the grocery store squawk and screech and where's the fucking cashier and like not standing still when you hear this horseshit uh, is that an answer to make a better life you know To make the world a better place? Yes. You know? And I would would be living under a rock and I would be lying to say that it's affected my mood to the beginning of 2020, you know? All this fucking World War III talk. All this SARS virus, coronavirus talk. 
just the negativity you see in the streets, man. It just reinforces the hell in a handbasket way in which this world is running. And, you know, it was kind of hard for me doing the podcast this week, to be honest. This is like my fucking 10th attempt. I wouldn't even be lying to say this is like my... like close to 10th, I don't know, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th attempt at recording this week because I just wasn't feeling it. You know what I mean? It's like there was nothing positive or fun to talk about. It was just like a shitstorm. Everybody was shitting on me, shitting on the world in general. You know what I mean? Negative news at every turn. People suck, whining and bitching in life. And, you know, I guess I'm feeling good now because it's like, all right, I banged out the podcast. Going forward, um, I'm just excited to just keep doing what I do, find a more interesting flow, a way to combat the negativity. And, um, you know, again, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. I hope this has been entertaining and interesting and relatable. If you have any questions, queries, or qualms, do again, hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. And till next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your viewership. It's your old chuckle buddy, guess who? Jonathan James Ramtrak, reporting live for duty on this magnificent January 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2020. Hey, um, fuck it, man. Sometimes you just gotta talk. Um... Wish I could have been a bit of a... Eh, wish wish I may, wish I might have the wish I wish tonight. I don't give a shit. Living it, loving it, that's all I can do. Hit me up again with any feedback. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com You can find me anywhere. I'm on Spotify. I'm on iTunes. I'm on YouTube. I'm on my website. jonathan-ramcharan.com Till next time, ladies and gentlemen. You live it, you love it, you realize it. All right? Peace. Peace.